0: Uh, I might just explain what I'm going to do, uh, just so you know. Uh, You'll see in the outlines that you have there uh, a number of headings. So I'm going to spend about the first 15 or so minutes uh, opening the Bible and thinking about God as our Father. And then after that, uh, there'll be a little model that we're going to look at as we think about how the, the Word of God applies to us as parents and in parenting. Uh, And so we're we're thinking more broadly uh, about this topic of of parenting, which, as we've mentioned, can be overflowing into grandparenting, uncling, auntieing, caring. And as Jodie said before, as a church family, we're in this together and we all support and encourage our parents and our kids in that context. And so the Bible is speaking to each and every one of us Uh, whether we are actively parents at the moment or not. I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great joy of children among us. And Father, we do pray for each and every one of us that we will care for the children in our midst, whether as parents, whether as uncles, aunties, friends, carers, whatever role we have, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come then uh, this morning, uh, on the screen there will be the different Bible verses that we uh, will be looking at. But I want to start this morning by, by reflecting on God and God our Father. What does the Bible have to say to us about God as Father? But just that whole idea of Father, what is our response, what is our reaction when we think about fathers? Uh, for some, it may bring memories of our own fathers. Uh, these memories might be pleasant, uh, they might be full of joy, but sadly for some of us, uh, those memories. Uh, may bring pain. They may bring sorrow. And there may be some of us who have never known our fathers. Here's one reflection on uh, fathers from Steve Bidolf's book, Manhood. <clears throat> My dad had an overdeveloped attachment to his roof. He talked about his roof a lot and referred to it constantly when I dared question the king's decree for me. This is my house. You live under my roof. As long as you're under my roof, you'll do as you're told. When you get your own roof, you can do whatever you want to. But while you're under my roof, you'll do what I say and when I say it. I always thought to myself... I can't wait to get my own roof. Fathers. For those of us who are fathers, talking about this will raise the question about our role as fathers. Are we doing a good job? Have we made mistakes? Can I do it better? Uh, Is it just about me and my roof? as Steve Budolph also points out in his book, Manhood. You see, when we talk about mothering someone, we seem to understand what mothering is. Uh, That is, mothering a child is about caring and nurturing and uh, it's about spending those hours in, in close sensitive contact But unfortunately, in our society today, when we talk about fathering a child, well, we're talking about a sperm donor, effectively. You see, fathers are in great danger of being marginalised in what is their role, even of marginalising themselves, of being redundant in parenting and in our society. That is not the Bible's view of parenting and of fathering. Fathers have a clear role, a clear responsibility. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul uses the imagery of of mothering and fathering to talk about his relationship with the Thessalonians. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, Or we were like a mother, feeding and caring for her own children. But then he goes on to say, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live lives, your lives, in a way that God would consider worthy. Now again, we see this, a description of mothers as as carers, gently nurturing their children. But the father image here, the father is not detached. The father has responsibility. The father is intimately involved in the care and nurture of their children. And we see here in this image pleading, encouraging, urging children to live lives worthy of God. Why is this? I want to suggest to you this morning that if we understand God, then we understand what fathering and indeed parenting is all about. For it is God who is Father. It is God who, if you like, has established the benchmark. Our Father God is intimately involved in the nurture and care of us, his children. And it's not as if God is like a father, it's not as if God has modelled his fatherhood on us, but rather God is father and we should be looking to him for how we father and how we parent. Now, just as a little aside, just in case you're uh, wondering, is it just all about God as Father? It's interesting in the scriptures that God also uses the imagery of mothers and the care of mothers to describe himself. And so in Isaiah 49, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? Even if that were possible, says God, I would not forget you. Or in Isaiah 66. I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. And in Matthew 23, Jesus uh, makes this uh, comment. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. You see, as a mother cares for and nurtures her child, so too does our God and Father. And so it could be argued loosely but that God shows characteristics of Father and of Mother. But it's important to note that the language of the Bible in using Father is specifically because God as Father is the one who gives an inheritance. God as father is the one who is head. God is father as father is the one who is overall in that imagery. So how do we see God as father? Very quickly three key aspects where we see God as father. Firstly, we see God as father over all creation. As creator. Uh, Deuteronomy, is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Or we see in Isaiah 64, yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. And again in Malachi, are we not all children of one father? Are we not all created by the same God? In these verses, we see this sense of creation and the Creator having ownership over all that He has made. We belong to God, but we belong to Him in relationship. Remember back in Genesis 1, when God created, He created man and woman in His image. And in the language of the Bible, this is relationship language. We have been created by God to be in relationship with him and with one another. Secondly, we see that in the Bible, God is father of his people, Israel, his chosen people. Jeremiah 31. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Interesting, that little comment there about Ephraim, who was the second son of Joseph. The interesting thing is that normally the eldest son would be the one who is expected to receive the blessing, but Jacob uh, actually blesses Ephraim, the second son. What's the significance of that? Well, I think one of the things that that brings out is that God acts in unusual ways. We cannot always uh, predict what God will do. Look for the unexpected. As father of his people Israel, in Hosea we read, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. And so we see here that God has specifically acted in his choice of Israel to be his children. You'll remember in Exodus that God saves his people out of Egypt through that miracle of the Red Sea. He saves Graciously and brings them into the promised land, his covenant people, his chosen people. But we also see that God's chosen people, God's covenant people, repeatedly broke covenant. They disobeyed, but God, as their father, continued to show mercy and love and forgiveness, redeeming and saving his people time and again. all pointing to that redemption to come in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, we get a glimpse of the fatherhood of God. But I want to suggest to you that where we see God acting fully and in real fatherhood is in the relationship then between the Father and the Son, It is in the relationship of the Father and the Son that we see a unique relationship. The writer to the Hebrews writes, "'Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, and now in these final days He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son He created the universe.' The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. I will be his father and he will be my son. As the writer here uh, quotes the psalmist, it is the sun... And the relationship of the Son with the Father that is described. It is the Son and the Son alone who is appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. It is the Son who is the radiance, if you like, of God's glory, who expresses the very character of God. This is a unique Father-Son relationship. In Luke chapter 3... You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. That is father-son relationship. You are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. In John chapter 3, the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And in John chapter 5, for just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead so the son gives life to anyone he wants in addition the father judges no one instead he gives the son absolute authority to judge so that every, anyone sorry so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father life and judgment are given over to the son the trusted son the son is honored just As the Father is honored. And when the disciples were struggling, they came to Jesus and they said, Show us the Father. And we read, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I wonder if he would have known. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? What we see here in this relationship between the Father and the Son is a relationship in the Godhead that enables us to know that the Father and the Son are in unity together. The Father and the Son are one What does that mean for us? What does it mean for God to be our Father? You see, as Christians, we see God as Father in the way that he deals with us as his children. In 1 John chapter 3, See the great love that the Father has lavished on us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Don't you love that word, lavished? It's, it's a word of ex- excess. It's a word of overabundance. It's the cream on the scone. It's that sort of thing. See how much the Father loves us because he has lavished us in that love. The model that God sets for us as our Father is a Father who lavishes us in love. But it's a love that is faithful. It's a love that is trustworthy. It's a love that has what is best for us at heart. And so we read in Romans 8... So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This love is a love so great that we have received the Spirit of God into our hearts, making us God's sons and daughters. We are able to call God Daddy. But notice there that as his children, we are heirs, heirs together together. With the Son, Jesus Christ. With our Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, in that Father-Son relationship, God has loved us so much that he has given his one and only Son that we too might have forgiveness and inheritance of life in Christ. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. God, our Father, loves us unconditionally. His love is his initiative. A love so great that Jesus, the true son, the true heir, took the punishment that we deserve so that we could share in that inheritance. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we surely ought to love each other. And so I want to finish this overview of God as Father by suggesting that if we're going to get our parenting right, then we need to understand and remember the way that God has treated us. We have rebelled against our Heavenly Father, but He has taken the initiative and come to us and welcomed us home. He has given us life when we have deserved death. He has given us love when we deserve anger and rejection. And with the prodigal son, we're reminded that there is ongoing celebration in heaven, when a child who is lost is found, when one who is dead is made alive again. And Christian brothers and sisters, that is you, that is me. And so as we parent our children, we need to reflect continually on God's parenting of us in love and grace and forgiveness. We're now going to make a jump, and it is a jump, to a model that I want to suggest uh, that we need to think about as we think about how parenting can work. But I don't want us to close our minds to what we've just thought about from the Bible in parenting and how God has treated us. Rather, as we look at some of these practical aspects of parenting, remember how God has dealt with us in love and grace and mercy. And I'm going to talk about this model, as you can see on the screen, as an apprenticeship model. That is very quickly, as the, as the butcher has an apprentice, he doesn't throw the apprentice into that, uh, that butcher's shop and say, there's the saw, there's the side of beef, go for it, good luck, come out with all your fingers intact. No, there's a process. And so, at birth, we have a dependent child. And it's great to have this little bundle of joy up the back. A great model because what we see in a young newborn child is a dependent child who can make no decisions and, in human terms, has no responsibility. Just lies there, cries every now and then, sucks, even gets it cleaned up when it comes out the other end. Yeah? That's that's what it's all about. But where are we heading? At the other end, we're heading for a young, interdependent adult who makes 100% of their decisions and is fully responsible for those decisions. Now, I use the term interdependent because none of us are independent. We don't live life independently. We're in a community. We're in a family. We're in a church. Imagine if we were all fully independent and just drove on the roads however we liked. Chaos. Now some do that, I've noticed. Chaos. And so that's what we're aiming for at the other end. So this little one is going to end up as a young interdependent adult and we pray making 100% of their decisions and fully responsible. Now think about it. What age do you want to see that happen with your children? What age do you want to see this young, independent uh, adult making their decisions? 20? 25? 10? I want to suggest to you that certainly by the age of 16, 17, 18, we really want to have that happening. And the example I give is that before I give my kid the car keys, I want them able to make their own decisions and take responsibility for them. That's just an example. There are all sorts of other reasons. But the problem we have, if you read some of the latest research on brain development, uh, for the young male, uh, brain development isn't completed until 25, 26, 27, 28. Some would say 50, 55, you know. But we won't go there. Uh, for for the young uh, interdependent female it is a bit younger, sort of 22, 23, 24, but what, what we need to understand is that we are expecting these decisions and this responsibility when physiologically it may not even be feasible and that will change and vary so much from one to the other and so we need to be training our kids so that they can make these decisions uh, even perhaps before they're physiologically ready to do so. Parenting is a big call. And so what we see on the arrow as we move from left to right is that we are moving uh, along that arrow with increasing independence, increasing responsibility and decision-making, and that is what discipline is from left to right as that happens. Uh, Just a uh, very quick couple of examples. So when my uh, uh, three- or four-year-old, some years ago, I'm going out to play in the yard. I said, no, there are bindies in the the yard. Put your shoes on. No. Now, I could have had the fight then. Don't you say no to me, young lady. You put your shoes on now. You're under my roof, remember? I said, fine, go and play in the bindies. A couple of minutes later, she comes back in. I've got bindies in my feet. I said, I said to you, there are bindis in the grass, put your shoes on, you said no. And so it's a, a simple way of getting our children to understand that as they make decisions, there are consequences and they need to take responsibility for it. Uh, Similarly, with the four-year-old, if they're about to belt their brother or sister over the head with the toy, you remove the toy from them. And with the 17-year-old who is not driving responsibly, you remove the toy from them. Same principles uh, along that whole thing. Also, you may want to increase that responsibility by increasing pocket money throughout that time. And we, when our kids were in about year 11 and 12 at school, uh, we actually gave them uh, additional money and said, right, with this money, your social life, your clothes, you are going to cover that with those things. We will feed you. We will house you. We will pay for your schooling. We'll do all those things. And when they came and said, oh, look, I need money for new jeans, well, yeah, you've been, you know, you work that out. Take responsibility. I could go on and on. the sake of morning tea, I won't. So in this model, we need to remember that we are reflecting as we raise our children that love, that grace, that mercy that God has shown to us. And this is what discipline is all about. And so I want to go back to the Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, where we read this. You have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as children. My children, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a child. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Have a look at the discipline ideas in that passage there. A word of encouragement is what discipline is. It's not to be taken lightly by parent or child. Do not lose heart. So, in the way we discipline, we don't make it so harsh that our child gives up. Do not lose heart. And that's where love and grace and mercy come in. We rebuke. There is rebuke in discipline. In love, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Acceptance of the child we see. He punishes everyone he accepts as a child. It's not pleasant, it's painful for parent and child. But note there that it trains the child, it equips the child, and there is an outcome there of righteousness and peace. I have two words highlighted there, disciplines and punishes. They are two different words in the the original language. The disciplined word is a paedios word, which is a word for all of raising, training, instructing a child. Punishes is literally punishment. The two words are different. And I want to just say to you that punishment is one small part of disciplining a child, of all of the raising of your child. The hard thing is that God has shown to us love and mercy and justice. And the question is, as we finish up, how do we show love and mercy and justice? When we punish our child for something they have done, they are getting their just desserts, that is justice. When we don't punish our child for something they have done, we can show mercy and not that punishment it's a bit like if I drive along the road and I get pulled up for speeding I've done the wrong thing and I say to the officer mercy mercy can't you let me off but if I'm driving along and see somebody racing past me I see them get pulled up and I say "Aha! give him everything he deserves justice you see I want mercy for me I want justice For everybody else. And that's why we have such a mess in the law courts. Because if the judge shows mercy, there is an outcry because we expect justice. But God shows mercy and justice. For on the cross of Christ, in giving his one and only son, he has given his son to take the punishment that we deserve, justice is served, that is, the punishment is taken. But on that same cross we see mercy because we are shown mercy through the cross of Christ where we are forgiven and the punishment has been taken for us. And I want to say to your friends this morning that it is only on the cross of Christ That justice and mercy come together. Justice is served so that mercy can be given to you and to I. And so God has revealed to us, His children, justice and mercy through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. What does that mean for us as parents? God has shown us love and justice and mercy. We can give our kids a glimpse of justice through that punishment that we might deliver, but it's that justice in loving and godly discipline in all that we do with them. And we can show mercy as we let them off for certain things. But what we need to do as they experience justice and mercy in human terms, is point them to the real justice and mercy that is available to them through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so parenting is living out that justice and mercy that God has shown to us and pointing our children to that same justice and mercy, praying that they too, by the grace of God, will experience that in their own lives, serving our Lord Jesus and giving their lives to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the love and the justice and the mercy that you have not only shown to us on the cross, but that you have given to us in our forgiveness and in our coming to you as your children. And, Father, we pray for all of the children in our care. Father, we pray that we will be able to model godly discipline in mercy, in love, in justice, that they too, as they live that, will look to you for that eternal life that comes through your love, your justice, your mercy, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. I'm a in lane trip.